Good morning, Cornerstone. I always hate like when we're all hanging out together and then someone has to put an end to it. Annie, Sue, sorry. Anna. Yeah, break it up. Genesis real quick. Um, Genesis is sometimes a misunderstood book. I'm just going to go over it real quick, crash course. It starts off creation, uh, God creating uh, all of the cosmos, and it's good. He creates humanity, and it is good. Of course, humans mess it up because we're rebellious, um, and there is this brokenness and sin that enters. 
And then uh, the next couple chapters, we see the flood and just this evilness and wickedness of humanity. Um, so we're getting a glimpse of who humanity is, this broken, sinful part of God's creation uh, that is wrecking um, chaos in the world. But we also see uh, this depiction of God who is entering into the chaos and is trying to redeem it, um, who has a plan to work it um, and save his creation. He picks Abraham uh, out of all the peoples uh, to be his chosen vessel through whom he will redeem uh, humanity and through whom he will redeem creation through Abraham's seed. Um, and then we have Abraham's son Isaac, and we have his son Jacob, and Jacob's sons. And this is the chosen family, and yet the chosen family is also really messed up. I think sometimes we can view these characters in the Old Testament as like, oh, these are our heroes. These are the people we want to be like. Um, they're really messed up. They lie. Um, there is family dysfunction like any of us have. Uh, it, it, they are not perfect people. They are flawed people who God chooses to work through. A large portion of Genesis is devoted to Jacob's son, Joseph. Joseph is Jacob's favorite son. He's one of the younger sons. Um, because he's so favored, all his other brothers hate him. Um, depending on your interpretation, Joseph is either totally uh, gets it right from the beginning or he's a brat. I kind of fall in the latter category of he, he's kind of like, I don't know, he comes across as kind of arrogant, like this bratty little kid. He's like, just shut up. Why, why are you being so like, hey, you know, all the sun and the moon and the stars, like, they're all bowing to me because he's having these dreams and he shares them with his family of uh, just all these, uh, his family basically bowing down to him and everyone's like, who are you? Are you saying that you're going to rule over us? Like, no. So his brothers hate him so much to the point that they are like, you know what, we're going to kill him. I'm really glad to say, I hope my siblings have never thought we're going to kill Aunt Ruth. I have a really good relationship with my siblings, but maybe you don't, and you can maybe have an idea of, like, that family dysfunction um, and this broken relationship to the point where you just want this person dead. They decide to not kill him, so they sell him into slavery. A lot better. They get rid of his bro their brother by selling him into slavery. And in slavery, in Egypt, Joseph is sold um, to uh, Potiphar, one of the captain of the guard in Egypt. Chapter 39 of Genesis, if you want to turn there, I'm going to read a couple verses at the beginning of the chapter. Verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master, his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. He made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and with him there he had no concern for anything but the food that he ate. 
now Joseph was handsome and good-looking. And if you're familiar with this story, because Joseph is so such a looker, um, Potiphar's wife uh, tries to get him to sleep with her, and he had integrity and was like, no. Uh, and it got so bad to the point where uh, she was basically assaulting him, and he ran away with uh, his cloak and her hands because she ripped it off him. And she'd spun it so that her husband uh, would uh, get rid of him. She said that Joseph tried to assault her. And so Potiphar, in verse 19, when his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, saying, this is the way your servant treated me, he became enraged. Note, it doesn't say who he was angry at. Could have been his wife, could have been Joseph. Um, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. He remained there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. He gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's care all the prisoners who were in the prison. And whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The chief jailer paid no heed to anything that was in Joseph's care because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. There's a lot that is in this passage, particularly uh, verse 21, um, and that was the passage or the verse that I really focused on for my paper because God is at work. You see that God's presence is with Joseph. He showed him or extended to him steadfast love. He gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. And then at the end of the chapter, it says that whatever Joseph did, the Lord made it or caused it to prosper. And this is very similar to the beginning of chapter 39. What's interesting about these uh, two passages, with God being with Joseph, is that these are the low points of Joseph's life. I think we can tend to maybe have an idea that God being with someone is when their life is really successful. We see the church down the road, gaining lots of members, and we're like, wow, God's really with that church. Or we see someone's family just being the perfect family. It's like, wow, God's favor is on, on them. We look at the external. We look at uh, the circumstances, and we think that that is the marker of God's presence. Yet with Joseph, when he is in slavery, that's when it says God was with him. In Egypt, a foreign land, it's interesting because in Genesis, God tells the patriarchs, I will be with you, and it's often in the context of, I will be with you in the land that I'm going to give you. But here, Joseph is in Egypt. He's in slavery, and God is with him. And then he kind of has uh, an uptick in his circumstances. Um, things are kind of going well, and it, the Bible makes it very clear that it's not anything Joseph's doing that is causing him to succeed. It is God who is behind his success. And then it crashes, and he is thrown into the pit again. It's interesting when his brothers uh, capture him earlier, they throw him into a pit because they're like, are we going to kill him? Are we going to sell him? Um, and then later, uh, in I think when Joseph is coming out of the prison, he describes it as a pit. 
the same, the same word. But yet here, in the pit of prison, God is with him. Even though it looks like, externally, there is no sign that God is with him. He has lost his family. He was his dad's favorite son. Can you imagine like, having such a great relationship with your father and then losing that? And then, any success he had in Potiphar's house, he lost that too. He's at a dead end. But it says that God is with him, and God extended his steadfast love to him, even though it didn't look like it. Even though the verses say that the chief jailer kind of gave Joseph responsibilities and things were kind of being successful, if you read on, Joseph interprets some dreams for some of the other prisoners. And uh, one of the dreams is a, a really good dream, and it's going to mean a lot of good things. This cupbearer, Joseph, is like, hey, you're going to be released, and when you're uh, back in Pharaoh's presence, remember me. And the cupbearer doesn't remember him. I think reading it, we can kind of expect that it's going to be another uptick for Joseph. Yet there's this delayed waiting. God was with him. In the Bible, the theme of God being with and God's presence is from the beginning to the end. In the first couple chapters of Genesis, when, Je when God is creating the world, there uh, a lot of people believe that the Garden of Eden represents a uh, temple um, and that Adam and Eve, the first humans, were to do priestly duties in the garden. Um, and a temple is where God dwells. So even though in the first couple chapters of Genesis it doesn't explicitly say God was with the humans, we can uh, read that God's presence was a huge part of his creation. Because when they sinned, Adam and Eve hid from the presence of God. And then later, at the end of uh, that fall, God sends them away from the garden. So there is, when there is brokenness of relationship, um, God's presence, uh, there's a brokenness of presence as well. And we see that with Israel. Um, God, it, with his people, he's giving them opportunities to be with him. He desires to be with them. In Exodus, he's telling Moses, I'm going to be with you. And then at the end of Exodus, he's filling the tabernacle, and he's with, dwelling among the people. Um, when Solomon creates the temple, God's glory fills the temple. He's dwelling with Israel until the exile. When Israel gets to the point of rebellion so bad that God's like, you know what, it's the end. And God's presence in Ezekiel leaves the temple and the people are sent into exile. And even in the rebuilding of the second temple, it doesn't say that God's presence came back. There's a brokenness of relationship until we get to Jesus, and he is called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And in Jesus, we see God returning to his people to be with us, to dwell with us. That sounds great until we realize that Jesus is not physically with us right now. It's like, Jesus. Why did you have to leave? And I think the disciples felt that way. Jesus, why are you leaving? And Jesus says, if I don't leave, I 
not going to send, you can't have the spirit. And I think that's the tension of the church right now, is that we worship Jesus, yet we can't see him. He's dwelling, he's sitting at the hand, the right hand of the Father, and we have the spirit. And the spirit dwells in us and among us. That's a tension, I think, that we have. And in Revelation, the very end of Revelation, there is still this image of Jesus is going to come back. He's going to dwell with us again. See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. The home of God is among mortals. That's the image. That's our hope. And yet God is with us. He has not left us as orphans. It's really interesting to look out at you all. And I know you all are looking at me. And yet, I want you to not feel unseen. I want you to think about your lives and those places that maybe you do feel unseen or that God's presence is absent. And remember that Jesus has not left you as orphans. This has been a hard year with COVID, with personal stuff, with church stuff. It has been hard. Financial stuff. God has not left you as orphans. God is not only with you in the end goal or the final fulfillment of all things. He is with you right now in a low point, if you're in that low point. He's not just concerned about the final product. He's with you in the journey. He is with you in the middle of the night when you wake up overwhelmed with anxiety. He is with you in the doctor's office and there are no answers and only questions. He is with you when you pull into work every morning and you feel like this can't be all there is. He's with you when you have no idea what college you're going to go to or what's going to happen after high school. He's with you when you make hard decisions and the consequences of that are really painful. He's with you and has been with you when you pray and pray for loved ones who are lost and those prayers seem to go unanswered. And he is with you when your heart is breaking over things that it seems like no one else cares about. He is with you when you feel like a sheep who has wandered too far from the flock. He sees you. He is with you when your kids are screaming and you have no more love to give. I thought of Elena Radcliffe for that one. He is with you when you wonder if loneliness is your lot in life. He is with you when you feel like 
There's so many bad feelings you have and you just want to take it out on yourself. He's with you in those moments. He's with you when you smile at something that no one else sees. He's with you when you have a really good conversation with a friend over coffee. He's with you when you work in the garden and you are sweaty and you're like, what's the point of this? He's with you in those moments too. He's with you when you sit next to someone who is really hurting and you have no words. He is with you. The God who is with us is not just merely with us, but he is the almighty God who is working all things together for good. The story of Joseph can sometimes be um, thrown out there when people are going through a hard time. Um, At the end, when Joseph reconciles with his brothers, Joseph says, Even though you intended to do me harm, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. And I've heard people say that um, when they've gotten a cancer diagnosis, that well-meaning Christians will quote that scripture to them, and that's not helpful. And so I don't want to uh, minimize anyone's pain and be like, oh, but God's got it. It's fine. Just fuck up. What I want you to hear in this is that the God who is with you is working it, even though you cannot see it. I'm really thankful that Ron uh, did Waymaker today and the, the bridge where it says, even though I can't see it, you're working, even when I don't feel it, you're working. Um, even when there is just no answers and it seems like there is dead end after dead end, God is with you is working. There's got to be some trust that he is almighty God. Presence and creativity unleashing beauty. I've focused a lot about presence, and yet we see also in Joseph's story that he is doing some things. And yet what he is doing, uh, whatever he did, it says that God made it succeed. I think when we hear creativity, we think, okay, I got to do, I got to do got to do. And I want to remind you of Brian Stevens's message the other week. It's not about doing, but it's about being. And yet, God has put things in our hands as a body and as individuals, as families, to do. And we need to be obedient in what he's calling us to do. He's the one who creates beauty. We just have to be obedient in it. We're going to do two activities, and that's going to be uh, uncomfortable for me as an introvert. So if you're introverted, I apologize. The first activity, we're going to take five minutes and reflect. Um, In your bulletin, there is some space on the back that I would like each of us in silence to reflect on. first question is how in the past throughout your life has God been with you? Reflect on the low points of your life, 
reflect on the high points in this week, today, 10 years ago. I want us to remember how God has been with us. The second question is, are there places in your life right now where you feel like God is absent? So take five minutes and reflect on those questions. How has God been with you in the past? And presently, are there places where you feel like God is absent? He has not left us as orphans. He has given us the Holy Spirit who lives in us. The next exercise is more uh, uncomfortable, and I don't think we've ever done this before. Um, before COVID, when we would have communion, I think really right up to COVID, we were trying when we would dismiss for communion, or I don't know if that's the right term, but release for communion, um, there was often the encouragement to not get in a line, but to circle around uh, the table. Um, and those, that was uncomfortable for me, because I think when you're in a line, you're just kind of like, you know, you got your blinders on, kind of. Uh, but being in that circle, seeing you receive communion was really powerful. And it was a reminder that it's not just me and my relationship with God, but it is also Savannah's relationship with God and Jim Goshrick's relationship with God and seeing Jesus love them. Um, this is going to be my only Marvel reference. There's a character, Black Widow. She just had a movie come out. I think it's pretty good. Uh, she's this ex-spy, and she, I think people have this conception of her as a loner, yet her whole story is about how she needs other people and how she has family. And it's really interesting because her families are not her biological families but they're the people who are her family, who know her and love her and have her back. We are not biologically related, except for the Martins over there. I'm related to them. Yet we are family. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, as well as the person next to you. So I wanna, what I want us to do is for just a couple minutes, it's not going to be five minutes, I want us in silence Turn around and look at each other. I want us to see each other. And if you lock eyes with someone, yeah, it's going to be a little awkward. Don't be like, oh, gosh, that's so weird. <laughs> I want you to look at the people next to you as well as the people in the back row, the people behind the tech. As you are seeing other people, you are also seen. So for two minutes, can we do that? Uh, in your spirit, acknowledge that God is with the person you're looking at. 30 seconds. I think it's important that we see each other, and we're not just coming in and sitting by ourselves and leave feeling unseen. Ron and team, you can come up.
Cornerstone, God is with you. Whether you're having a great day, or whether you're having a really bad day, whether you are at the end of all that you know, or whether you feel like you're great, God is with you. I would encourage you to be open to being God's hands and feet and being his presence in the people, in the lives of the people that you saw, that you looked at, and that we take this out into our homes and into Lebanon. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the people who are here today. Thank you for Justin and Jim and Joy and the elder team. Thank you for the people who are watching the children right now. Thank you for the work that they are doing. Thank you for being with our kids, too. Thank you for being with the Casey's. Thank you for being with the Boyers. Jesus, remind us of your presence when we are in our workplaces, when we sit around our tables with our families, when we go home to an empty home. Let us remember your presence with us. Guide us and teach us how to uh, carry your presence into hurting situations. To remind people who don't know you that you are a God who wants to be with them. Give us humble hearts. In your name, amen.